But God always has this plan. God always knows what's going to happen. God always knows uh, and can comprehend what we're going to do. He sort of, I don't know, plan A, B, B, C, E, F, whatever. And they all sort of work to what he's trying to do around us. Love must be through choice. So for us to even come to the consciousness of loving God, there must be a choice that is driven behind it. And just like we have choice, he has choice. I mean, we can see the evidence of humanity that has the struggles within paradise with choice. Even today, humanity struggles with choice. All you have to do is turn on the news, turn on the TV, look at the newspaper, look at the stories that are taking place. You give people choice and they don't quite know what to do with it or they run with it 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. I don't know how you can consciously give a child choice to choose their own sexuality when they don't even know what they want for breakfast. But this is what choice does. Choice allows us to, to choose different things. And of course, suffer the consequences that comes with those. We can choose to do the right thing, but quite often we are found to choose what we want to do what feels good at that present time. Most often, people choose based upon their present circumstances rather than a future situation. Most people don't plan for more than two weeks ahead. Some people don't plan for more than a week ahead. Some people live from day to day. The truth is we don't learn from our successes. We actually learn more from our mistakes and our failures. When, human, when life goes well, human nature gets comfortable and complacent. When life is going well, it's like, oh, this is awesome. And then something happens. Even in perfection, the Garden of Eden, humanity gets itself into trouble. We're really good at it. Today, all across the world, across the whole entire world, people are willing to choose to not walk in the ways of God and are choosing to make decisions based upon what they want at that present time. And that is why the world is the way it is. We have seven point something billion people on this planet. And there's so many people choosing their own ways. We don't want to listen to God. We don't want to even pay attention to God. We don't want to even acknowledge his existence. And yet we turn around and wonder why people do the things they do. I mean, if we go back to the original account of the original sin, it's really quite interesting. I love this story. Remember, God had put Adam and Eve into the Garden of Eden and he has said, look at all this place. You can do whatever you want pretty much. You can eat from every tree, every tree, every tree in that garden. But there's just one you can't. It's a whole wet paint sign, right? Put a sign on a seat that says wet paint. What do you do? Touch it. You can eat from every single tree, but you just, it's just, just one. You can't eat from that. We can be given so much, yet we still want what we are not meant to have. Don't touch. It's hot. It's almost like you have to use reverse psychology. Dry paint. 
Oh, okay, well, I won't touch it then. But in the story of the Garden of Eden, you've probably read it a thousand times. Maybe heard it sp- spoken about a thousand times. But it's so intriguing to me because we repeat the same situation over and over again in different circumstances. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast on the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, God has said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. He wasn't in competition with God. He wasn't defying what God had already said. He was going to twist it. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall surely not die. For God knows in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate it. And she also gave it to her husband with her and he ate it. Then their eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig tree leaves together and made themselves loin clothing. It's really important to know that it's not that their eyes were not open. But sin has this way of taking our innocence from us. When we touch something we're not supposed to, it begins to take away something from us. It begins to take our innocence. My kids are innocent. And as they grow, they become more aware of things as more they get exposed to certain things. You can't stick them in a bubble and pretend that they will not experience what the world has because at some point in time, they will find it, they will experience it. And as parents, we need to educate them as much as possible. We don't do that because, not don't touch. Because if you say don't touch, they touch. See, we have this nature that's it's driven by curiosity. But it gets us into trouble. And this is a really important part. Adam and Eve's iniquity wasn't eating the fruit. It was wanting to be like God. The result was eating the fruit. Sin is the action, iniquity is the motivation. Today across the world, we still have this central desire. See, we either deny God's existence, we deny his authority, we rebel in order to prove that we have the power, right? The stupidity of it is, he gave us the power of choice, and yet we try and use that power of choice to deny his existence. This is how we try and do the same thing over and over again. It's the same thing. Oh, you should surely not die. God knows that when you eat of the fruit, you shall be like God, knowing good and evil, and your eyes will be open. That sounds awesome. I want to be like God. Let's eat the fruit. And it doesn't even have to be like that anymore. It can be, oh, you can touch that. It's okay. It's okay. It'll feel good. Because sin, sin always, always promises to please and pleasure. Yet it always enslaves. Because once you open something, your eyes are open for it forever. We begin to think, oh, I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen things in my life that I cannot literally get out of my head. 
I exposed myself to things across my life and now it's like they are forever there. And now I have to go through the battle of saying, no, 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 Pete, don't touch, don't touch, don't touch. Rebuking those things, slowly transforming my mind, slowly cleansing my mind. And simply it's just easier just not to touch. Oftentimes we will still walk in this concept, wanting, desiring to be equal to God. And the truth is we can never be equal to God. It's a stupid concept, but it's something ingrained in us that we want to be equal to God. And we simply, by denying what God has said or what he's done or what the good things are, we we want to do exactly what's not good for us so we can be equal to him. Oh, You know, it's like your parents. I mean, we're all adults here because all the kids have gone, right? Parents tell you, don't do that. It's not good for you. And what is it? Oh, I'm going to do that. Don't sneak out of the house and go to your friend's house. I'll sneak out. I'll do exactly in the opposite. So this rebellious nature is this actual desire to be equal to the person that states the rule. But God always has this plan. This is where it becomes awesome. God understands our own stupidity, even before we do. He has this plan that supersedes our choices. And I am so thankful for it. In Romans 5, 12 to 17, it says, Therefore, just as though one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not seen the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not that like the transgression, but by the transgression of the one he may die, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abound to me. I know that gets really confusing, doesn't it? Let me put it this way. Okay, let me summarize this. Just because one man sinned, there's sin in the world. But just like one man sinned, another came who did not sin. And because he did not sin and he paved the way and died for us, we now live in the ability to have a relationship or right relationship with God. The consequences to original sin is pain and suffering. Hardship and distress. And the reason suffering is our sin or our iniquity is because based on humanity's choices. We choose to do things and touch things that we shouldn't. And the consequences of touching those things is pain and suffering. Now multiply that by seven point whatever billion people there are on the earth and then multiply it by how many people existed. This is why we are in the place we're in. This is why sin or sorry, suffering and pain exists. Because we touch that which is not for us to touch. The blessing comes from the one that overcame the sin. And his ability is now to overcome suffering. God put humanity in perfection in the Garden of Eden. And we, humanity, wanted more. Humanity rebels all the time to God's ways. And this is the result of it, the way the world is. Humanity thinks we know best. Oh yeah, we know best. We'll build a stock market. 
And we choose our ways constantly over God's ways. We do it all the time. And occasionally, unfortunately, I do the same thing. I choose my ways, my wants, my desires over what God has. And oftentimes, God has to make decisions that have consequences. When God freed the children of Israel from Egypt, from their pain and their suffering, pain and suffering was involved. When God's decision involved our suffering is for a course correction, meaning God's actions, when he intercedes or intervenes in our lives, it is for a course correction. We've gone too far in one way. It's the same thing when Noah's ark was, you know, when Noah was around, he built this big ark or big boat. It was for a course direction. But with course directions also come pain and suffering. The same opportunity was presented to Noah as was everyone else. All they had to do was repent and get right and they would be welcome on the ark. When God moved in Egypt to free the children of Israel. There was pain and suffering. But there were also Egyptians who came to know the saving grace of God. Because when the children of Israel walked out of Egypt, Egyptians went with them. It's a course correction. What does God have to do? What, is, what, what sort of course correction does he need to do to change our lives, to put us on the right path? But most of the time, it's not even God acting that causes or brings suffering, but it's humanity's choices. Anything that brings us pain and suffering has generally got a, a root cause of humanity's choice. People suffer through wars because humanity wanted more. We are not content. We strive after it all, but at what cost? Even at the cost of another human. I mean, the five sins that kept the children of Israel out of the promised land are found in 1 Corinthians 10. It's lust, idolatry, fornication, tempting Christ and murmuring. I mean, lust is desiring something that's not yours to want. Idolatry is having anything before God. Fornication is having any sort of form of sexual sin. Tempting Christ is asking God to do something contrary to his word. Murmuring is speaking discontent about another to another. The five sins that kept the Israelites out of the promised land, even though God had said, I'm going to give it to you, was based upon their own self, their own choices. And they're all self-centered in their, their origins. self will keep us out of the promised land. It keeps us out of our maximum potential in God. Jesus taught in Matthew 22, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the greatest and foremost commandment. And the second is like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I was teaching the youth this week that if you, if you understand those two passages of Scripture, right? if you live with those, right, they cover the rest of them. We're no longer under the law because God, Jesus came to actually fulfill the law. Then he said, look, this is how you live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Then love your neighbor as yourself. And the reason why you've got to love God with all your heart and with all your soul is because you've got to walk in obedience. And if I'm walking in obedience to what God says, uh, then everything else will come in alignment. 
And then I'm loving God in one way and I'm also loving my neighbours through the same way. It's from the heart that this issue comes with called iniquity. Jesus taught to love the Lord God with all your heart. If we love God with all our hearts, do you think we will make choices based upon our own desires? The walk of the believer is not based on rules. It's not based on regulations. It's not based on religion. I don't do things in order to be saved. I can't earn my salvation. It's not my good works. This is why God did things, right? Can you imagine if you said, okay, you have to earn it by your own grace? It would defeat the whole purpose. It would defeat the whole purpose of being saved because what are we being saved from? Ourselves. See, we've all witnessed pain and suffering. We've all gone through it. Or we'll all go through something. We've all seen another person going through it. We've all experienced the pain and suffering. We all know that we aren't perfect. But there are so many people that I know that don't even work on that. We don't work on this. We don't work on the heart. And our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not like you've got to cut out this thing in order to fix it, right? Our fight is against powers and principalities that look to rob us. They rob us by convincing us, just like in the original sin, to choose our own ways over his. To convince us, oh yes, do your way, do what you want. Because it's so much better. Because we know better. Be like God. It's so... We are... Oh look, I don't mean to cause any offence, okay, but we're stupid. Okay? We really are. I am in that same boat. There are things that I touch that I know I shouldn't and I'm just, I convince myself, it'll be okay. I don't need to listen to God. I can choose my own way. And what does God do? He sends a helper, the Holy Spirit. If only we would choose to listen to God's helper over the voice that convinces us to choose our own way. See, we need to involve the helper in our choices because he is the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost and he's sent to us to guide us and direct us, to comfort us and to bring us into all truth. If only we would choose to listen to him rather than convince ourselves that we know best. And yet God still loves. And his love doesn't remove our choices. And therefore, it does not remove our pain and our suffering and our consequences. And so God can use our consequences for the greater purpose of all pain and suffering, and that is to draw us back to him. See, God sends a helper to guide us, to assist us, to empower us. God makes a way, and then even when we fall short, we have hope. In Romans 5, 8 to 10, it says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of his son, uh, wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. God made a way that an excuse to relax or to give up can comprehend. We just need to stop trying in our own strength 
and seek him. It's the reason why we need to seek him is to build that relationship, to build that understanding, to build our sensitivity up to the Holy Spirit, to actually be able to hear his voice over our own. To desire to be near him. His love for us is huge, it's massive, it's actually overwhelming. And yet we still don't quite understand why we still keep choosing our own way. I mean, Romans 7, 14 to 20 says, For we know that the, Lord is, the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law. Confessing the law is good, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. That's Paul. That's a tongue twister in itself. Basically says, I do things I don't want to do. But I need to learn how to do the things that I want to do, which is what God wants. It's why we actually need him. It's why we need this, his word, his presence, his truth, his life. It's why. Because we are sinful. We choose our own ways. And the truth is, our way doesn't work. His way conquers. Our way doesn't work. It's the understanding that suffering actually has a purpose. And we've got to get this place that our suffering and our pain and our difficulties actually have purpose and they're actually there to redirect me. It's the understanding that suffering actually brings me closer to God when I understand to turn towards Him in my pain. Learning to walk in His ways to hope against hope and believe. Even when the the struggle or the difficulties or the suffering, suffering seems impossible to get through. It's that point of trusting him, turning him, learning how to walk through it with him, listening to his voice, understanding what he's doing. Because when I turn towards him, when I walk in his ways, he actually brings me to a place of victory. I am not void from suffering. But with him, it makes it purposeful. When it's purposeful, I can see it differently. I no longer look at it with a victim's perspective. I see it through victory. When I see suffering, struggling through my view, it's different to when I view it through his eyes. His eyes review or actually reveal victory. It begins to start working in me. It begins to change me into the image more likeness of Christ Jesus himself. I begin to walk away from my flesh into the perfect image of Jesus Christ that little bit more. Romans 8, 37, 39 says, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Victory comes through him, not through us. 
2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 19 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away, behold, the new things come. Now all these things come from God, who reconciled us to him through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but he was committed to us the word of reconciliation, meaning Christ came to present us in a positive manner before God, to reconcile us to the Father, regardless of what we've done or what we've said, or what choices we've made. We're not, ma- we're not new creations by our works or by our efforts, but through the victory of Christ, the way the Father sees us, through the blood of Jesus, a finished product of victory. His love, regardless of my choices. But living in victory requires his way. That's it. Living in victory requires living in his way. We can't do it our way because our way got us into the problem in the first place. Our way causes us to want things that aren't ours to want. Our way causes us to touch things, to be involved in things, to experience things, to have our eyes open, to walk away from the promises of God, to be removed from where we should be. Oh, and praise Jesus for Jesus, seriously. Praise Jesus for Jesus. Because without him, we're, we're all stuffed. We are in big trouble without him. But with him, he reconciles us. But we still touch. We still desire because there's so much of us still left. That's why we need to crucify our flesh. That's why we need to say no to ourselves. That's why we need to spend time in his word because we need to be transformed into the image of Christ. That's why we need to spend time in his presence, meditating on his word, speaking to him. That's why we need to come to church and be surrounded by same like believers. That's why we need to learn how to worship. That's why we worship. There's so many things that God says, look, here, these things are for you. These things will help you. And we're like, yeah, not today. Not today. I feel like doing something else today. I feel like, oh, I don't know. I don't feel like today. Our lives can't be based on our feelings or emotions. Because our feelings and emotions get us into way too much trouble. Way too much trouble. It's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. Exactly what happened to original sin. Adam and Eve were tempted to be like God. To make their own choices, to have their eyes opened. To know the difference between good and evil, which they had never experienced before. And the devil, oh, he was crafty. He was crafty. He tempted us with what we actually already wanted. But it was a promise that was empty. Because he can't give us anything. He can't give us something that he doesn't have. And he doesn't have the ability to open our eyes any more than he has the ability to take you out. He doesn't have the ability to rob you. He doesn't have the ability to remove you from this earth because only the Heavenly Father has. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're far from him. And today I invite you to put things right, get things right, 
Make him first in your life. Begin the journey. Walk after him. Chase after him. Put aside all our own flesh, which is easier said than done. It's to seek his face. And what I'll do is I'll be down the front and I invite you to come and talk to me. Get to know the journey a little bit more. But if you want prayer in other areas of your life, then I invite you also to come and I'll be down the front. I'll be in two places at once. But I'll be down the front. Come and we'll talk and we'll pray. We have morning tea with tea and coffee after this. Tonight at 4pm we have prayer. And do invite you to come because prayer is powerful. If you want to understand anything, understand this. Right? Here it is. Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden. Yes, they committed sin. But they were put in the Garden of Eden to commune with God, which means they also prayed to God. What on earth did they pray to God about? Most of our prayers are about ourselves. Most of our prayers are about our wants, our desires, or what we want God to do. But if you look at what Adam and Eve did, they, their prayers would have been different. Their prayers would not have been about desires because they had everything. Their prayers wouldn't be about, oh, car broke down. They didn't have cars. Everything was given to them. Everything they needed was provided for them. They didn't even know anything else. What are their prayers like? The prayers would have been very different to what we do today. So I invite you to come to prayer. It would be a great time. 4 p.m. Come a little bit early if you want. We're going to pray, spend some time together, and we'll see what God wants to do. But I'm going to pray. I'm going to close the meeting. Like I said, if you want to get to know Jesus a bit more, if you want prayer, I'll be down the front. Stay a while, talk, chat, get to know someone. Say hello to the visitors. But we'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that there is no one else that can take our worst decisions and make them into something glorious. Father, I thank you that even yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us to bring victory, to bring us a hope and a future. Father, I thank you that you see the good in us, in your creation, even when we're not walking in it. I thank you that you are bigger than us, that you understand more than we ever could imagine, that your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts, but you are God. So Father, I speak your greater revelation upon each and every one of us, a desire to walk in your ways. Father, I pray for great weeks. I pray for healing. I pray for life. I pray for open doors. I pray for safe travels over Deanna, over James and their family, over Brian Kelly who are flying back home. God, have your way in our lives. God, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.